Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to The Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer. And I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and we thank you for joining us on this glorious Thursday afternoon. Now, with us in the studio, Natalie, I know you're excited because I am... Always. It's Mr. William David Edgar. (laughs) And for those who don't know by now, he is the Times Chief Stats Officer. And down the line, from the lovely hamlet of Rippenden, it's Ollie Kay. Later on, we'll be anticipating Antoine Griezmann's next move and the knock-on effect it could have on the rest of the transfer market. Plus, the championship playoff semi-finals. But we start by looking ahead to this Saturday and the FA Cup final. Manchester City versus Watford. The Hornets hoping to secure the first major silverware in their history. City aiming to become the first team ever to complete the domestic treble. Oli, we've seen some dominant teams through the years in English football. So are you surprised that no team has ever achieved the feat of the domestic treble? I suppose when you think about how long English football has been going on, in some ways, yes, because we, you know, there have been very, very dominant teams in that time, but, you know, not least sort of, well, in the, in, the, in the League Cup era, at least, that, you know, there's been dominance from Liverpool, dominance from Manchester United. But if you go back to when, uh, well, I think we're all similar age, when, when we were growing up, even, even to win the double was very rare. Um, obviously, uh, Spurs had done it in 61 and Arsenal in 71, then Liverpool did it in 86. But in those, you know, it's five times in the first 100 years of league football. And then there was just this spate of them with Manchester United and Arsenal um, again and again, and then Chelsea in uh, 2010, wasn't it? And, and so I guess as the big clubs have become more dominant, maybe you would expect it more. And, and I guess you don't get many teams coming along like this Manchester City team. So... Um, it does make sense that it's a quite a rare thing, although not many of the big clubs in recent years have taken the League Cup quite as seriously and, and um, sort of single-mindedly as, as much as if you have. We have come close, though, haven't we, Bill, in past uh, times of teams trying to, to get the treble being, let's just remind everybody what that is, it's the League, the League Cup and the FA Cup. Yes, there have been other trebles which have included the European trophy, but never the domestic treble. Um, there have been silly trebles too, right? Silly. Like the one Mourinho won? Well, you never. Europa League, yeah, the, the um, Community Shield can immediately yeah. discard all mention right. of that. The League and the FA Cup have been running since the 19th century. The League Cup started in 1960, and by the mid 60s, more or less everybody was taking part. So realistically, there have been 55 years to to do the treble. Um, in that time, there have been 20 domestic doubles, but uh, probably the, the two closest of those cases to a treble were Manchester United in 1994, when they won the League and FA Cup double, and they lost the League Cup final to Aston Villa. And then in 2007, when Chelsea won both domestic cups and were second in the league to, to Manchester United. 
Um, so I guess it's perhaps not surprising that teams haven't done the, the, the treble. And Ollie says clubs haven't taken the League Cup that seriously, you know, uh, at many stages of its existence, especially in the last 20 years. Um, and also, even if you're, you perform the best in all three competitions, the randomness of football just means, you, you know, it's so easy just to be unlucky, to miss out on. You need, you need luck as well, or you need to be so superior to every other team that even if you do, even when you run into a bit of bad luck, that's still, uh, you can overcome that. Um, and you could argue, you could put Manchester City into that category. They are to my mind, they're the, the best team I've ever seen anyway. So I guess that they're, they're the, the one team who you might expect could come close to it. Ooh, should we make Ollie uncomfortable by asking him if Manchester City are the best English club side he's ever seen? I would say you could make a very, very strong argument that the quality of the football is the best we've seen in, in, in English football. And because if you look at the where the players come from and in the Premier League there aren't sort of journeyman non-international footballers like like there would have been in, in great Liverpool teams and Manchester United teams and Arsenal teams of of the 20th century so you, I think there's a very very strong argument the argument against them is, is that they haven't done it in Europe yet and okay it came down to a, a fractional VAR decision in, in the in the game against Tottenham um, in the quarterfinal. But if you look at the past three seasons, yes, there's randomness. Yes, there's luck in the Champions League. But if you look at the past three seasons, they've, they've fallen short in Europe, and they've they've not performed as brilliantly in Europe as they have on the domestic front. But I I would say in terms of just the sheer quality from one to eleven, the sheer quality of their football. Um, and in terms of dominance, yeah, I, I, I probably would agree with what Bill says. We mentioned it before about how <clears throat> the, the Premier League is, is more polarised and, and the bigger clubs have many times the resources of, of, the let, of the lesser clubs. So they are a whole heck of a lot better. But by the same token, I mean, clubs that are finishing 13th, 14th, 15th in the table today, they would probably wipe the floor with clubs that finished 13th, 14th, and 15th 20 years ago, yeah. let alone 30 or 40 years ago. So those guys have actually gotten a lot better too. Yeah, right? I mean, you have to kind of uh, almost allow for inflation, as it were. You, you kind of accept that the football, that every team is so much better than 30 or 40 years ago. Obviously, the, the conditioning of the players and the pitches are the competition for better. places. Yeah, the, the professionalism. Yeah, you know everything. It, it's so much better. So I mean, in one way, you could say, well, the the current twenty teams are the best twenty ever. But I mean, you kind of, I suppose, you have to kind of count the, the whatever the average standard is now in the Premier League and say, where are Manchester City compared with that? And 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 I just think they're so much better than the, the average that that I would have them as the very best. I mean. It's uh, and I put a, almost all down to uh, Guardiola. I have to say, think of back to the early days of this decade when City did win the league under Mancini and Pellegrini, and they and David Silva was a really, you know, such a key player, so much better creatively than the, the rest of the team. It was a really there's a really strong case for man marking him. 
But now, what you wouldn't man mark anyone at Manchester City. They're all good. All eleven just pass. Uh, all equally, well, not equally, but but more or less equally good at uh, passing it around, passing and moving, joining in this incredible uh, uh, fast-paced attacking. That it would be futile just to to mark one. And I, I think it's just that the the coaching is just extraordinary. What about Watford then? How much of a chance do we give them, Gab? I think they maybe have a better chance than than some people would realize. Um, first of all, it, you know, City in one-off games, and this might just be an absolute quirk this year, but City came within, what, 10 minutes of getting knocked out of this competition by Swansea, right? They were 2-0 they were down with 20 minutes to go in, I think it was a quarterfinal. Now, I realize that wasn't a priority for them or, or whatever else, but they still had to you know chuck on all the big guns and Aguero scored two minutes from time. Then when they played Brighton in the semifinal, and this was a Brighton team that clearly had prioritized. Remember he played that weird lineup uh, Chris Hutton did? They were obviously prioritizing staying up. And they won 1-0. I'm not saying they didn't create other chances. So there's a lot of things that can go wrong. This is the nature of a low-scoring sport. Now, add to that that on paper at least, I've said this before, I think Watford have one of the top two or three central midfields in the Premier League, in Ducore and Capoue, who I think are ideally placed to be disruptive should Watford you know, elect to go and sit. I'm not saying they'll definitely do it because it's very difficult to do because City are that good, but if the game does get physical, Watford, think of a definite edge. Watford can play a front true if if they so choose in, in Dini and Gray, or they may play Dini plus De La Feu. Either way, Dini is a big physical guy, and if he doesn't do silly things like get himself sent off early like he did against, uh, I mean, was it that Monday night game against Arsenal? Yeah. Um, you know, he's unpleasant to play against. Uh, so there's a lot of little things, I think, that that you can, there's a lot of little edges that Watford have, and, you know, they also need good fortune, which you always need, but, you know, we have seen City late in the season. I'll make another analogy, and look, I think player for player, Leicester are a much better team, right? But we saw on Monday night, not that long ago, City with everything to play for going to face Leicester, Leicester with nothing to play for, and City needing an incredible low percentage, long range effort from Vincent Company to, to to score, and ultimately that was a goal that effectively gave them the title. So put these factors in there. I think we are going to see a game, and, and I think this could be very close. Javi Garcia, he wasn't even nominated for Manager of the Year. But it would be an amazing achievement. Bear in mind the season they've had as well, which has been pretty decent. Yeah, I mean, he has a history of getting smaller clubs to punch uh, way above their weight. Going back to Malaga, think of all the mean things <laughs> certain people, Ollie Kay, uh, said about Watford and the way they were run and the Pozzo family and how no manager lasts more than a season. Well, you know, he's managed to, to prove them wrong. I think um, some people... I honestly don't know about you, Bill. I do know about you, Ollie, so we'll leave that to one side. Predicted that Watford were going to go down at the start of the season. Were, were you one of them? Uh, no, I, I didn't at all, actually. But, uh, okay, so I'm not just... saying I get all my predictions right, but I didn't. But he's, <laughs> he's, um, yeah, he's been uh, a year and a half, and he's already been there longer than the last seven managers. And he only has to last to the start of next season, and he's longer than the last nine. So. Troy Deeney has been there for nine seasons, and he has yeah. worked under 11 different managers, yeah. which is pretty awesome. Wow. Yeah. That is. Were you going to suggest that I tipped Watford to go down, Gab? Is, is, is I, I believe you did. 
I'm just, I'm just and you had Javi Gracia as the first manager to be sacked because somebody on Watford Twitter um, made me aware of this. Somebody on Watford Twitter made me aware of it. I'm just looking. I'm just looking. Who, who did I predict? Oh, right. Cardiff, Fulham, Huddersfield. Oh, I see. All, all three correct. Yeah. Everybody else said. Uh, <laughs> Who's your first manager to be sacked? Uh, Puel. Oh, really? I must have you mistaken with Henry Winter. You sound the same to me. Very, very easily done. Very easily done. Um, no, my, my, my predictions for once were excellent. Because Oh, wow. Well, well done. Because I didn't put any money on them. So, um, right. It's, um, but no, look, on, on, me, on Javi Garcia, I, I, I think... Um, I think you could you could have made the case for him to be the sort of making up the numbers candidate on the on the manager of the year um, shortlist. I, I don't think anybody would put his body of work this season next to say Guardiola's or Klopp's. But he has done very well with a with a mid table team. Eleventh, did they finish? It's not it's not brilliant, yeah. but but their, but their cup run has been their cup run has been really good. And it's interesting to me because um, the view at Watford for a long time has been. Managers have a two-year shelf life. Well, he's he's sort of eighteen months in, and he's he's doing really well. And I I I, I would think that they are looking to um, take him into his his third season. Although, although his second anniversary wouldn't be till uh, midway through last season, I would, I would think he's um, he's done more than enough to um, justify being the exception to that rule. I, I think it's also the case if you're a club in, in Watford's position. And I know when, when when people go and you know talk about the eleven managers or whatever that Watford have had, it's not because they have an insane owner who's who's trigger happy. It's it's because managers have have left for different reasons. You know, one of them, Marco Silva, transformed himself into a snake and slithered off to uh, uh, to, to to Goodison. You know, Oscar had like a, a, a serious um, you know he had a serious physical problem. Other Sanino resigned. Billy McKinley was there for two games because he was filling in. You know, people seem to forget this stuff, right? But generally, for clubs at that level, you know, if the manager does well, somebody's going to come and get him, somebody bigger and better resourced. And if the manager does badly, there's so much competition to avoid going down that you're likely to let him go. It seems like if a manager, by his third year, if they're not sort of still improving, if they're not treading water then there's a there's a clamor for change isn't there so um but whether it's in the fans or the media or, or, or from the board it feels like you can't just have a sort of steady sort of five or six years at a club anymore you've got to be progressing and 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 i think the the watford model probably feels a lot more natural in in 2019 than than it did when um when there was that sort of heavy turnover of managers in, in the in the early years, I mean, even when they when they got rid of Sanchez Flores after a good first season, to most people's minds, um, I think people were shocked by it. But I think people probably accept the logic of it now, and probably see the same with Chris Hughton, say where, where it was a good first half of the season and then a difficult second half of the season, and you know, I think people can understand the sort of Pozzo way of looking at, at these things now. And um, the encouraging thing for Javi Grassi is, is that despite a slight dip towards the end of the season, it, it, it's, it, it all looks like it's still uh, moving forward. So obviously the FA Cup final is to come this weekend, this month. There are plenty of other cup finals. Let's discuss 
the Europa League final, in particular with regards to actually the fact that Chelsea may well be missing Ruben Loftus-Cheek after he suffered an ankle injury playing for the club in a friendly against New England Revolution in America. The friendly did raise $4 million for organisations that combat hate crime, but as I say, it has come at a cost for Ruben Loftus-Cheek. How do we feel about this situation? Ollie, let me ask you first. It's never a good look when a player gets injured in a in a friendly, especially an end of season friendly before a before a cup final. But I've seen Chelsea getting slaughtered for this. But it's is it not reasonable really to to have a an end of season friendly, particularly if, you, if you've got a final on on the horizon? I mean, obviously this was arranged in advance, but if I don't imagine. Sari or or Emery or any of the managers with, with European finals on the go would, uh, on the horizon would be thinking it's ideal to have sort of two or three weeks with it without a match. I think I think it, I think it's it's not a bad thing really to to be playing an end of season friendly. You, uh, the, the issue of travel of of you know conditioning etc. I mean who who knows how uh, whether there were any deviations from their normal sort of pre-match build-up or whatever, but I, I don't think playing an end-of-season friendly match is something that's normally guaranteed to um, result in an injury. So I, th- I think some of the criticism of Chelsea is, is a bit harsh in that respect. I think also the fact that it's not like they flew to Abu Dhabi to punce around in front of a bunch of sheikhs and trouser $10 million. You know, they... They went somewhere to raise a lot of money for for a very good cause to, to combat hate crimes, and I think it's also relevant, you know, within the context of a club who has a fan base, where part of their fan base has a history of whether it's extremist politics and anti-Semitism, and possibly, you know, we're not talking about we're talking about a small minority, but you know, they it is historically it is a vocal minority and has been part of the. Part of the perception, anti-Semitism as well when it comes to Spurs, although it's more complex discussion, the Raheem Starling incident. So, yeah, I mean, who's to say Ruben Loftus-Cheek wouldn't have hurt his ankle in training, you know? Obviously, they could have done without flying six hours to Boston and back. I think that's that's pretty clear. But I suppose they do fly first class. They're well looked after on a flight. It's not as bad as some would have to they, go they through. I don't think they do fly first class. I think they fly business class. This is these days not so bad, though, is it? Well, you know what? The problem with a six-hour flight, though, is that unless you're really good at falling asleep, even with one of those flatbeds, as you know, Natalie, you can't, (laughs) you know, you don't don't get a good night's sleep, basically. This is true. No, I understand. This is true. Bill, what do you think? Do you have have an opinion on it? Yeah, I guess. There's the fact that it was only three days after the last the last game of the season. That's perhaps that's not ideal. Third, you wouldn't want to have no games at all for two and a half weeks to the final. So ideally, it could have been scheduled a bit later. But I mean, it's it is really it's just bad luck. I mean, you're always going to get the odd injury, as Gab says in training. There'll be something going on. It's just a shame it's Loftus Cheek who's uh, bang in form at the moment and uh, arguably should be in the uh, England uh, eleven at the Nations League if it. Mm-hmm. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. 
feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Every Thursday at thetimes.co.uk, our very own Bill Edgar provides 11 trivia teases for you. And here is one for you on this very podcast. Last weekend, which team became the first for 14 years to receive less than one yellow card per game over a Premier League season? Yeah. Who's been good? Well, the process of elimination, I'm assuming it's not... Burnley <laughs> and it's probably not Manchester United I'm thinking of mm. one of the slightly more effete teams but also probably a team with an Anglo manager who everybody loves I'm looking at you Eddie Howe interesting you, that, I, it's funny Okay, I'm not having a pop at Bournemouth but you know a guy who works for a Premier League club which may or may not be south of Birmingham who is convinced that Eddie Howe has some kind of voodoo going on with the referees and he trains his players. He feels that they get more favorable calls than anybody else in the Premier League. It's the way they act. It's the way they don't... I mean, they've got some hard players. Obviously, they have Jefferson Lerma, who will, you know, kick you seven ways to Sundays, but they generally don't have guys who argue. They don't have guys who annoy referees. They don't have guys who who take dives, and they're really good at influencing referees. So he's got this whole bee in his bonnet about it. I don't know if it's true. Is they've it? got an incredible number of opponents sent off uh, over the last year or so. Bournemouth, really? Yeah, I mean, it could be just chance, but uh, yeah, maybe there's something in that. You should follow up on this, because it is a bit of a dark art, right? Mm. Um, That's a good one. If you want to know the answer to our trivia teaser, then all you have to do is stick around until the end of the podcast to find out the answer. Now, one of the world's most sought-after players announced on Tuesday that he'll be leaving Atletico Madrid this summer. Antoine Griezmann is that man bringing an end to five years in Madrid. Gab, what is his release clause and where might he be going? I think it's about $120 million. Um, And he's been strongly, strongly linked to Barcelona. He's been partly because he was heavily linked to Barcelona last season too. If you remember, he made that that silly video, which was actually produced by, by Gerard Piquet's production company. Because, of course, they're, Gerard Piquet is kind of like the, the LeBron of football in the sense that, you know, he's got his fingers in many different pies. Or the real Ferdinand, if you will. Um, Barcelona obviously feel like they need a lift, and obviously they're getting a tremendous footballer. Although, dude's 28 years old. Um, obviously, he makes them better. I think it it's going to have implications because he costs a lot of money. I think it... It's going to mean that they'll probably have to sell Coutinho. Um, and if they want Matthijs de Ligt, who's the other guy they've been linked with, and remember they've already signed Frankie de Jong from Ajax, they'll probably have to sell more guys like Rakitic, possibly Umtiti, guys like that. So if you're a Rakitic fan out there, Manchester United supporters, what, what, what do you think, Bill? You up for that? Uh, yeah. Would you have Rakitic? You're 31? Well, yeah. Well, the new Schweinsteiger? Up, yeah. Upgrade on Herrera. Yeah. Right, just wondering. Well, there's also the likes of 
Dembele as well and and Coutinho is I mean there's there's a potent, there's quite a few potential Premier League clubs that might well be interested in in the fact that if Barcelona do sign Griezmann they may well have to sell to balance the books. Yeah, I don't think they're going to sell Dembele just cuz he's young and also he's really quick um which really none of the other guys are anymore at this stage um at this stage of their career. Of course, if if they do bring in uh, Antoine Griezmann, you'd imagine Real Madrid will want to uh, bring in someone uh, of a similar standing. Does this increase, Oli, the likelihood of Eden Hazard lining up uh, at the Bernabeu next season? Uh, it probably does. I mean, I, I think the chances of that are already um, high. I think Chelsea seem to be um, fully aware of that, and um, Hazard is certainly fully aware of, of, of their interest, which is which is. Uh, more than reflected by his interest. Um, the, the, the interesting dimension of it is what happens if, if, if Chelsea's transfer ban is upheld. Can they can they possibly sell him and not replace him? Obviously, they've got Pulisic coming in. They've got Hudson Odoi um, emerging, but obviously is, is, is injured at the moment. Um, but it does it does sound like Hazard is going. There have been talk about Pogba um, going to Madrid as well and again uh, the player would certainly welcome that and I think what's what's still to be uh, still to become clear really is, is whether Manchester United would welcome that because I think there'd be a I know there's an argument among Manchester United fans about building a team around Pogba I think there's a argument among other Manchester United fans and other Manchester United watchers about trying to build an exit tunnel for, for Pogba. Um, so that's, that's, that's an interesting one. Real Madrid will... I mean, if you, if you look how Real Madrid last summer... Obviously, they lost Ronaldo. They didn't really make a big, big splash in the transfer market at all. They didn't really sign what you would consider a top-grade replacement. And they have what is in some areas of the team, you know, a lot of their key players are um, on their, the wrong side of 30 and, and, and will need replacing. It's a team that has sort of grown old and they've, and, and they've, they've won the Champions League in, what was it, four of the past five seasons or four, four of the past six seasons. And I think at times that sort of paper over the cracks um, and has, has allowed them to... Um, not make long-term decisions. I think they've got to make a few long-term decisions. So, as well as the sort of Hazard-type signing, um, I think they they've got to be in the market for some outstanding young players as well. And sticking with transfer news, it's been reported that Wilfred Zaha has told Crystal Palace he wants to leave. He, of course, signed a five-year contract last summer. So, will he get his wish, Ollie? The difficulty is that, that Palace's valuation is, is going to be huge. I, mean, I remember two years ago, um, Sam Allardyce, when he was manager of Palace, saying, oh, if anybody was going to come in and buy Wolf Sahar, it, you know, they'd have to pay £50 million. Now, that was two years ago, and you look at the, not, so much, well, not just his progression since then, but the transfer market inflation since then. And it's not surprising that, that the... Word coming out of Palace is that he would he would cost upwards of 100 million. It's not. You know, I don't think anybody could be surprised about but that. Isn't he, how old is he? Isn't he like 26, 27 now? No, 26, 26. He's 26. Um, that's a lot of money. 
It is, but he's, he's a proven Premier League player. He's, he's, he doesn't come with any of the risks, perhaps, that Pulisic would come come with and, and other players who are bought from outside of the Premier League. I, I, I think when you look at some of the valuations and, and fees, it's not the... It's not, in the Premier League these days, it's not—it's not—it's not the craziest one we've ever heard. If, if, if Zahara would cost 100 million, I don't think mean, you'd get better value, perhaps from doing something a bit more imaginative. But I—I I, I, I certainly think, from Palace's point of view, they're, they're more than entitled to us. I, I think that the difficulty kind of in pitching him at 100 million um, is that when you only have one buyer or a small group of buyers, I didn't know this. It's called a monopsony. I, I knew about what monopoly meant, but monopsony is when there's only one buyer, right? And obviously that means that the price goes down. If you're talking about $100 million for Wilfred Zaha, leave aside whether he's worth it or not. Materially, who can buy him? United, City, um, Liverpool, and that's it. I mean, I don't, I mean, Arsenal can't. I mean, and you look at those clubs, and obviously he's already been at United, and could United use him, of course, and would it be a tremendous story? Yeah, sure. But then there's a, a million other dudes that United could also buy. I don't think City particularly feel like they necessarily need Wilfred Zaha. And obviously Liverpool, are they got pretty decent wingers right now. So it's almost like if you're Zaha and you want to go to a bigger club and you're at Palace and you want to cash in, you got to start thinking in terms of the Everton-Leicester level, Wolves level, and those guys can't play $100 million, And so you have to naturally drop it down and... Depending how far you drop down, you might actually say, you know what, it's not worth cashing in. I'd be surprised if, even if he, anybody offered, say, 70 million for him. I think at his best, he is uh, phenomenal, absolutely unplayable. He's brilliant to watch, he's just extraordinary. But, but he does have quite a few off days. And I think it's just a few too many off days for teams to commit so much money for him, I think. Uh, I mean, it's been said before, he does get a bit rattled by... I mean, he quite rightly gets annoyed when he get, gets hacked down and, and he, he doesn't get um free kick or the opposing player doesn't get booked or whatever, but he does seem to sort of ruffle him a bit and he, he just doesn't get up and carry on as normal. So, yes, it is a tricky one. He, he may end up staying or, or Palace will have to reduce their valuation by a huge amount. It was another exhilarating midweek of football with two dramatic championship playoff semi-final second legs. And when all was said and done, it will be Derby County and Aston Villa fighting it out at Wembley a week on Monday for a place in the Premier League. Derby had lost all three of their previous meetings with Leeds this season, but they won the game that mattered most, 4-2 at Elland Road. Ollie Frank Lampard's first season in management will end then at Wembley. What a story he is writing right now. Yeah, I think I think whichever teams had got through, I mean, there would have been a great story because because it's been sort of four fascinating plot lines of those teams in the, who have been in the playoffs. But Lampard's first season has been fantastic, really. I mean, I, I, I praised him last night on on Twitter after the game and the impact he's made. And somebody said to me, "Well, if you look, you know, they, they were six last season and." Gary Rowett, sixth now. Is it really any different? You know, they they generally in the playoffs. Is it, is it really any different? I would say yes. It's markedly different because if you look at the way they've played, well, no, just look at the squad they've they've got. They've moved out a lot of experienced players. 
last summer, which was all about bringing down, down the wage bill, which was part of the um, mandate from the owner, Mark Morris. He wanted a, 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 more, a tighter, um, younger squad. Um, he wanted them to, you know, take a different approach in the, in the transfer market, looking to you know, players like Marriott at Peter, Peterborough and using the loan market and getting people like Wilson and Mountain from Liverpool and Chelsea, respectively. And he's integrated all of these younger players into a into a team which he, he said from the start, and I went to see him in, in, in the build-up to his first game against Reading in, back in August, he said that, you know, we want to play a different way, we want to play more expansively than the clubs played before. And they've done that, and they've made a big leap in terms of playing style, the evolution of the squad, a lot of younger players, a couple of old, older heads too, like Keo, but, but I think he's done really well in terms of that. I think there were a lot of questions asked um, about whether he'd been rattled by the whole Spygate thing and whether you know he was yet another manager who was unable to sort of get Derby through their traditional um, February-March yips, which they seem to have year after year. Um, but he's got them to end the season strongly. They showed real character and quality and bravery, I would say, in that playoff last night. I, 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 I think everybody in the media was, was, you know, it was quite into the sort of Leeds story, the the idea of Leeds finally getting up again. But I, I, I'm just really pleased for people at Derby who I know and, and Lampard in particular, I think has done a really good job. And they've, as you say, they've done, they've finished uh, sixth this season as they did last season. But, but in the big games, they've really impressed. So, obviously, after the league season's finished, they've, they've uh, had that great comeback to beat Leeds. And then in the cups, they uh, matched Manchester United at Old Trafford and won on penalties. They they matched Southampton over two games uh, in the FA Cup and won that on penalties. Uh, and the style of play is very impressive, and it does. Uh, it does, you know. You have to say he's done well in his first season. And interesting that Stephen Gerrard has taken Rangers on this season, third up to second. And Sol Campbell's done very well. Turned Macclesfield. Well, Scholes has done wonders at all. Times. <laughs> he only, that, well, that's the one exception. But he only had seven games. So it's not really enough for uh, enough of a sample. But but those three, you can see a uh, imagine a trend where any uh, former England player coming up for a you know making themselves available will be. Sought after. Uh, Ollie, you said that some people thought Frank Lampard might have been rattled by Spygate. Obviously, his it was obviously a surprise, and I think in his initial reaction, he said a few things that I, don't know, I disagreed with, and he might, with hindsight, disagree with too. But how do you think when we've seen a guy like Frank Lampard is so public? Like even people who don't like him, that that dude never really got rattled, even as a player. I mean, if there's one guy you would think does actually not get rattled or or hasn't gotten rattled since a long, long time, since Ayanapa, perhaps, I mean, it's Frank Lampard, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I would agree with you, but, but there was this, you know, there's you know, Leeds fans thinking, that, you know, stop crying Frank Lampard the other day. And get it in that guy's head. It's kind of like... I know, you know, it's, I know, it's, it's like he's like, it's like if he was in a wheelchair and was bald, he'd be Professor Xavier. Like, you know, you can't like there's other ways to beat Frank Lampard, but you're not going to go and mess with his mind. No, exactly. I, mean, I, I think um, I think 
had they not turned it around last night, I think a lot of people would have said, oh, Leeds got under your skin, Leeds did this. And I don't think they did. I, I think if you, if you look at the interview he gave straight after the game, and even the, the celebrations, you could tell he was utterly pumped up, but pumped up in a positive way. He wasn't, I don't think he would have flown off the handle if, if they'd lost. I think he was entitled to enjoy those celebrations as much as he did. And, um, and you know, he, he said, he said, that it did mean it did mean an awful lot to him for him personally. It, it's a massive achievement to get to get him to playoffs in the first in his first season. But yeah, I, I think people can very easily form a wrong, incorrect opinion about um, about what players are like. And we, in our job, we're privileged to you know, get some access and exposure to some of these people, and, and you learn more about them as people. And uh, I've I've always said to people whenever people ask me what certain footballers are like, the Frank Lampard is one that I always tell people is just <laughs> uh, intelligent, bright, warm, nice, sensitive um, guy. He's he's very very impressive. I felt that he had all the sort of tools to be a good manager, but you just wonder sometimes whether somebody will get the opportunity to show that. And Derby have been a club who have been sort of had a Watford-like turnover of managers in, in the last um, in, in the last sort of five or six years or so, so he, he, he's had to do well just to just to um, retain the, the owners' faith throughout the season. Not many would have given Derby a chance at Ellen Road, but it has ended up with heartbreak for Leeds, Bill. And when you look at their form over the last six weeks, they really did squander their chance of promotion. Yeah, they did. Yeah. I mean, overall they were thirteenth last season, so they've taken a huge step up so and as long as if, if Bielsa stays then then they can look forward uh, with optimism for, for next season otherwise it's all kind of back to square one again but um, but they'll look the Leeds fans will be haunted by the, the good Friday match against Wigan when they, they went into it three points ahead of Sheffield United they were 1-0 uh, up very early on Wigan had a player sent off but Wigan who were fighting against relegation last 75 minutes had 10 men and uh, but managed to win the game and they did Leeds just didn't recover from that um they they did kind of i guess there's a certain amount of kind of hysteria about Leeds this season because which is understandable among their fans because it's so long 15 years since they were in the Premier League and was such a big club they they'd won the league in the previous 15 years they'd got the Champions League semi-final and so so to fall away like that, and they're not really got close to since the 2006 playoff final. They're not got close to coming back, and they dropped down to League One. So suddenly they've thrust up to into the uh, automatic promotion positions, and it uh, perhaps got a bit too much for them in the end. They're going to pay your old mate in Wembley. I know this is and it. Actually, no. I want to ask you a question about this. Oh gosh, because already it was happening on Twitter, and I want to ask you, and I want to hear from my way. Are we going to get two weeks of this? Lamps versus JT narrative. So I just want to reiterate, John Terry is not the Aston Villa manager. He's not the Aston Villa assistant manager because that would be Mr. O'Kelly, Richard O'Kelly, who we've talked about at length. He's at best the assistant to the assistant to the regional manager. He's a guy who stands up. He happens to be more famous than all these people, but he's only worked there since, since Steve Bruce left. I'm not dissing him, but you can't put him. It's not JT versus Frank Lampard Jr. And I want to ask you to keep flying the flag for Dean Smith because Dean Smith is the Aston Villa 
manager, correct? Absolutely. And I will be flying the flag for Dean Smith because he's done a terrific job at Aston Villa. I mean, to have got them into the playoffs in such a strong way, they finished the season so strongly, you definitely have to fly the flag for Dean Smith, for Richard O'Kelly and John Terry's a little side. Thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's how I look at it. Uh, but- Ollie, are you on board on this? Because you will be asked to write those wonderful, like, sort of features and the characters and blah, blah, blah. Will you join us in the battle for, to, to recognize the, <laughs> the work of Dean Smith and Richard O'Kelly? I was, uh, I was having a chat with the, um, with the, with the desk this morning about, about ideas ahead of the playoff final and, and the big uh, JT versus Lamps. Um, Head-to-head showdown was was not part of it. I, I don't think I don't think there's any undue focus on John Terry and our plans. Although I do find his his role and his his, his prominence interesting. Um, I think it I, I think it's going to be a, a really good game. I, I'm in, I'm immediately looking forward to to that. And and it's you know he's it, part of that because they're big clubs and big names and big personalities. Well, yeah, probably. But I think they're. The, the, the way they've been playing in the in, in the final weeks of the season makes you think it's going to be a a good game. And, and Jack Greenish is is somebody who um, will always uh, will always catch the eye as well. So it's I would say there's going to be a lot of good young English talent um, on display, um, including some of the loanees that I mentioned earlier. Um, yeah, how about, really how about Tammy Abraham versus Fikayo Tomori? Yeah. That's a better shout, right? Mason Mount versus Jack Grealish. You've got all these little yep. Anglo subplots that you guys love so much because they involve young players, right? Yeah, exactly. And well, we, we don't always we, we can't take for granted that we're the um, young homegrown talent when we when we go to Premier League matches. So that so this um, you know in what what is frequently and nauseatingly sort of described as the most valuable, expensive. Um, game in, in world football um, I think it's it's nice that both teams will be um, will be showing their, their trust in, in homegrown talent And regardless of the result at Wembley what we can say for certain is that the Premier League will be welcoming another up and coming English manager obviously Chris Wilder will be there with Sheffield United but Dean Smith or Frank Lampard will be in the Premier League bill Yep Yes, the, uh, that's that's the, usually the way English managers get into the Premier League by being promoted. Um, that's a really good point one we've made before, and yeah. Premier League clubs just simply don't scout the Championship at all, do they? No, no, well, no unless you're David no. Moyes, like he's yeah. still, he's, I mean, maybe he's not the last guy, or Paul Ince, but they're like, mm. oh, it's extremely. I remember looking into it's it. It's so weird. It's so different. It's another yeah. one of those things that makes y'all different from the rest of humanity when it comes to football. Mm. Just enough time to give you the answer to Bill Edgar's trivia teaser. We asked last weekend which team became the first for 14 years to receive less than one yellow card per game over a Premier League season. We came up with a few, but it was just randomness from us, really. Well, they had 37 yellow cards in the 38 games. And the team was Liverpool. Oh, interestingly, oh. Liverpool. Interesting. So, now, so, so you might think oh, it's obviously successful teams then, yeah. but no, the, the the last team to go under a yellow card per game in the Premier League, two thousand four five, Norwich, when they were relegated. So, you know, it does. It, I think Bournemouth do. It varies. But, but yeah, Bournemouth have a, had a good a good disciplinary record. 
Um, Who are the really yeah. bad guys? Uh, well, Watford have had the most yellows this year, I know. Most of them Troy Deeney, I assume. Yeah. <laughs> and Holly Bass into double figures, I think. Um, this is Liverpool. Fabinho uh, was booked six times. That's the most. Is part of your theory being that Liverpool gets such good treatment from referees because of the vast pro-Liverpool media conspiracy in the punditocracy that we've been hearing so much about that <laughs> and that Pep Guardiola himself alluded to? Yeah, I don't, I don't think all Liverpool yellow cards get reported. I think uh, so. If yeah, you're, if you're not in a match report, you put, you put the goals in and then opposition yellow cards can get reported, but <laughs> not all of them. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. OK, that is it for now. Many thanks to our guests today, Ollie Kay and Bill Edgar. Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. Just one pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information. We'll be back on Monday when Watford will have secured their first major trophy or Manchester City will be treble winners. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.